Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by the other two co-hosts, Joe Wolfon. What up? And Jessica Sharo. What's going on? It's good to be back. There's a, a little bit of NBA news going on, and we're going to stretch that as much as possible. But uh, after that, after we cover the recent news with Westbrook and with Kyrie, we are going to look at league pass teams. We are going to look at the most overrated and most underrated acquisitions for the offseason. Um the news that's going on is a little bit negative so far. There's a couple of injuries. Devin Booker broke his hand, maybe while riding a unicycle, which is not great when you sign someone to a max contract. Also not great is uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, he just had a arthroscopic surgery on his right knee. This is the fourth surgery he's had on that knee. Um, he's expected to be reevaluated in four weeks, which is just before the start of the season. Wolfon, I'll start with you. How concerned should you be if you're the Thunder? Because Westbrook has signed himself to a supermax contract and he's going to be getting paid something like 47 million in about five years and the first year of that contract uh you know he's starting it off with this surgery i i wouldn't be too alarmed until there's reason to be like he as you said has had three surgeries on that knee in the past um and at least one of them has been you know far more severe than just having it scoped so um He's never really shown any signs of, like, breaking down physically at all. That's true. And it's obviously going to be a concern at some point because for a player like Westbrook who does rely so much on speed and athleticism, there is always going to be that concern that when that starts to wane a little bit, um, he's not really going to have enough to fall back on to continue to be an effective player. But for now, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I mean, I think the one thing that you could say this does, you know, hamper the Thunder in some way is, like, he's not going to be there for training camp and for preseason, which I, again, don't think is a huge deal just because that team hasn't changed that much. Uh, you know, him and Paul George and Steven Adams and Robertson and uh, Jer- Jeremy Grant, like those guys all played together last season. The team is more or less the same. Like Schroeder's there and Mello is not. And that's like the right. only really big difference. But I don't think him and Schroeder are going to be playing together that much anyway. Right. So... I don't think there is like that much of a need for them to get acclimated necessarily. And like, it's never good when one of your, you know, when your best player has to miss the entire preseason, but uh, I don't think it's a huge deal. Yeah. And also like, it's not too much of an impact on the continuity just because Schroeder and Westbrook kind of play the same style. And so if you're getting used to playing with Schroeder, then you're probably also used to playing with Westbrook. And again, I don't think that's that big of an issue, like you said, because there's a lot of continuity cash. Yeah, I don't think it's time to panic, but I definitely think there is cause for concern. I mean, even just the fact that they said he'd be reevaluated in four weeks, that was uh, Tuesday when when he had the surgery. Four weeks from that date is six days before the season opener Mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So I don't know, anytime you're talking about, and I know he hasn't had a, a knee procedure done in five years now until this, but still, anytime you're talking about a guy who relies basically exclusively on his explosiveness and athleticism, having four surgeries or procedures on one knee, um, you know, in that 30-ish age range now. Um, yeah, he's 29. Right, yeah. and, and you know, being reevaluated six days before the season starts, I think there's definitely cause for concern because it's the kind of thing that, you know, is it going to linger? Are they just going to, like, they're saying they won't rush him back if he's not ready when that time comes. But then if you start the season without Russ, I know Paul George and Steven Adams bring you know, obvious um, positives to the court, but that team has no real depth. And Dennis Schroeder, for as much of a fit as I think he is as a sixth man, 
you plug him into the starting lineup, and I think it's very different. Uh, so I, I think there is cause for concern there for a team, as we saw last year, that maybe doesn't have the margin for error that people would have assumed. Yeah, but look, Westbrook, I don't think he's really going to miss any time. And I'm not really basing that on anything other than the fact that he has always pretty much returned ahead of schedule. Yeah, he's a warrior for sure. And he just seems like one of these guys whose body kind of like functions in a, a different way than most people's bodies do. Um, and he hasn't really shown any of the ill effects of, of having those kind of knee injuries in the past. So I think if there's anyone who you can point to and say like, yeah, you can expect this guy to return either, you know, on schedule or ahead of schedule, then Westbrook is that guy. And uh, look, if he has to miss a little bit of time, I don't think it's a huge deal. Like I know the West was going to be super competitive and you can't really afford to lose any ground even early in the season, but I think they're good enough. Um, and Paul George has proven good enough in the past of being, you know, a number one on a team, you know, with a solid defensive supporting cast that uh, I don't expect them to just like tank without Westbrook at the start of the season. So I think they'll be like, they'll be fine. I, I'm just always weary of these injuries um, that are kind of like nagging or random pains and like tension and tightness and that, the way they describe injuries like that when they're like kind of random in the sense that this wasn't something he had at the end of last season, you know, like, okay, I felt this last year, going to get it cleaned up, be ready for camp. It was something that he felt mm-hmm. after like doing basketball things throughout the summer. And now right. it's like late in the summer, training camp's about to open. That's where my concern is. I'm just always very weary and kind of think worst case, I guess, when, when I do hear of those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Do you Worth think- mentioning too, that like Paul George had also had arthroscopic surgery um, in May. Like, he, he had the same right, surgery. Yeah. Like and he was playing throughout the summer. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, I mean, like, if you're a guy like if – if you're an organization like the Thunder and you have a guy like Westbrook who you've invested so much money into and, you know, the the history on his knees are not great. Specifically on his right knee, he's had uh, surgery to remove a torn meniscus. Uh, he had a loose stitch on a surgery that he had to go clean up. And the original surgery for that, there was some uh, cartilage damage, basically. I mean, like, if you've had this history, like – should organizations allow their players to play this much in the offseason, right? I mean, like, this is obviously within the CBA. Everything is completely fine, and it's great, really. It's great content to see him going down to UCLA for these runs and whatever. But, like, Westbrook was pretty much at these runs all summer, right? Yeah. And if you have um, – and these are not, like, high-intensity playoff games by any means, right? But, I mean, still, it's it's Westbrook, and he's jumping, and he's dunking, and he's cutting, and he's turning his knee. Like, do you do – you, if you're an organization with the, like the Thunder and you have an injury prone, or at least a player with an injury history, like maybe you have a conversation with this guy and say like, "Hey, listen, maybe, you know, chill a little I, bit." I've to be honest, I've always been surprised that you don't hear of more injury. You know what I mean? Like random freak injuries during the summer at these runs. And I do know that there are actually, um, like, the NBA actually has specific. So, like, okay, players are allowed to play mm-hmm. at this, like, whether it's the Drew League or this run at UCLA. But they are, there are actual other ones where, like, the NBA doesn't allow it or teams don't allow it. And a perfect example of that is when we were doing our, the, um, our um, time with Lance Stevenson, the documentary that we've talked about already on this podcast. But he wanted to play in a kind of, like, a pro-am thing. I don't remember if it was at Rucker Park. or It was, like, another kind of legendary Brooklyn right. or, like, New York and um, while we were with him, he ended up getting um, his business manager got like a text from Palinka, Rob Palinka, Lakers GM, who said, "Oh, sorry, like that's actually not one that we can 
sanction yeah. or whatever. So there are some that like teams don't allow, the league doesn't allow. But yeah, then I don't know how they distinguish that. I don't know if it's like based on whether there's medical personnel right. on site. Who knows? But yeah, like I said, I'm, I've always been surprised more guys aren't injured during these things just because freak things happen. But I think that probably doesn't happen because the guys are all aware that they're just there to kind of like stay in shape and like get some casual runs in and nobody's really like going to do anything dangerous or reckless nobody's fouling anybody at the basket like Mm. i think everyone's well aware that um, patrick beverly's not allowed at the same but is russ Russ ever aware of those things i was gonna say russ goes on a court and there's a basketball i was gonna say yeah he's i think no i mean russ will go hard but i think they're there's probably a limit to um, just like, like like the kind of dangerous situations that a guy is necessarily going to put himself in um, in in like a pickup game. Um, I think I don't know. You watch these highlights and you watch these guys go into the rim and there's like no resistance there, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, so you know, obviously freak accidents can happen, but those accidents can happen in any setting, whether, you know, you're just working out, you're yeah. running, like... Maybe you're riding a unicycle right <laughs> after signing a max contract with the yeah. Suns. I mean, who knows? Well, are we sure that he injured his hand riding the unicycle, or was he riding the unicycle because he injured his hand? So, you know, like, he couldn't grip the handlebars. That's... Both are bad. Both are bad. <laughs> Both absurd. I'm sure doctors... From the guy a... who's running the Suns organization, literally. That's true. That is true. But, uh, look, like, uh, they, they have to get some sort of off-season work in, right? right? So I don't know how much a team can limit what a guy does or even want to limit what a guy does in the off-season because, you know, they don't want them coming into training camp, like, completely rusty. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's always this argument that we have about rest versus rust. Like, is the preseason too long? Like, are they asking too much of the players over the course of the, of the season? And, like, is practicing on off days really worthwhile? Like, I think there are a lot of questions that you can ask about uh, whether it makes sense to have them putting this much work in, having put in, putting that kind of toll on their bodies, but um, they're uh, they they have to be doing something, right? Like you don't want them coming into camp out of shape and, and totally rusty. So um, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is, but and especially nowadays when it seems like, and I don't know if maybe it's just because it's like we're part of the social media generation that we see that these guys are always working out and having these runs, but like it seems like now more than ever. And it's not just stars, mid-tier. Like, everyone seemingly in the NBA is doing something during the summer basketball. Related. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's not, like, a week before camp. It'll be early July, and you'll see, like, these crazy runs with all these stars in it. Right. Um, so it's just different now. Like, I remember even when I was younger, there would always be funny things of guys showing up out of shape. Or even in the preseason, you can tell, like, wow, these guys yeah. need – I mean, you know, Hito, Tur- Hito Turkaloo's fatigue from playing with a turkey. Right? Like, no, I mean, like – Let's not forget that Andrew Bynum blew out his knee going bowling, right? Like yeah. – But – but Okay, look, if, if your knee couldn't hold up to bowling, you, you couldn't play NBA basketball. I'm just so saying there's time. any number of things that can – Yeah, can, well, speaking can, of which, Andrew Bynum in the news, But what so. I'm saying is that, like, I think guys need to take part in these runs now in the summer because if you don't, you're in the minority and you're going to be like the 1% that shows up out of shape when everyone else is still kind of in game shape. Right. And there's probably a case to be made that if you show up and you're not in game shape, that that actually leaves you more susceptible to injury, right? Because your body is not used to um, running and cutting and jumping. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. One guy we haven't seen in too many runs outside of the Team USA minicamp is Kyrie. Um, He's coming off injury as well, but it's... But by all accounts, it seems like he was fine. You were at Team USA. He looked all right, right? He looked all right, but he also wasn't doing everything that everyone else was doing. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, interesting. I mean, hopefully he's all right, right? Because uh, Kyrie's a wonderful player and everything like that. Obviously, the Knicks think he's a wonderful player because a report from NBC's A. Sherrod Blakely says that the Knicks have Kyrie Irving targeted as their number one free agent coming into 2019. They have a lot of cap room, the Knicks do. Um, they had a 
very quiet summer, but actually, I think by Nick's standards, that's actually good. They're clearly setting themselves up for 2019, and David Fisdale is their new head coach, and he's saying things like, oh, we got some big moves planned, which is, you know, uh, pretty much the Knicks slogan all every single year before they end up with Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the Knicks have a lot of cap room next year. They have some interesting-ish draft prospects. They have Chris Tapps, obviously. He's coming off injury as well. Um, and he's not going to be back until at least the All-Star break. But, uh, I mean, A, it doesn't make any sense for Kyrie to leave the Celtics, who are kind of poised to dominate in the East for at least the next five to six years, to go to the Knicks, who are poised to not do much right now. But is Kyrie perhaps the one guy that's arrogant and confident enough to try something like this? Because he is from the New York area. Yeah, he's a Jersey kid. And also, Kyrie Irving is a flat earther, okay? So don't don't <laughs> okay. dispel anything, anything that might run through this guy's mind. I'm serious. Like, nothing is off the table when it comes to... Kyrie Irving and well, what's more crazy believing that the earth is flat or, or joining willingly the joining the New York Knicks yeah that's a good point that's tough. I will say the funny thing to me in that uh, Blakely report was that and it was he was sourcing someone inside the Knicks organization right I believe told him something like like out of all the names available as free agents next year like Kyrie is their number one option my thought process was are they just assuming KD's not leaving or are yeah. they literally putting Kyrie Irving above because the Knicks would do that I, I feel like they're probably assuming that yeah. KD is going to stick I hope so, because if anyone's willingly putting Kyrie Irving above Kevin Durant on yeah. their offseason target list, that's a problem. Yeah, but Any, I mean, Anytime you can sign the second coming of Stephon Marbury, I mean, you got to do oh, it. Geez, wow, man. <laughs> Where's uh, the legend. Vaseline? Oh, God. Look, uh, Fire up Ustream. We don't really know all that much about what Kyrie's motivations are, right? And I feel like there's a sense that he doesn't entirely know either. Like, he... Seems like a pretty whimsical guy who, um, you know, he kind of makes decisions based on gut instinct. And, you know, Jackie McMullen wrote a great piece about him last year, kind of detailing the the process of him having this falling out with the Cavaliers organization. And you can maybe see the seeds of that happening also with Boston. As fond as he seems to be of Brad Stevens, as glowingly as he talked about that organization last year, um, Kyrie seems kind of like a restless soul. And you get the sense that maybe, you know, after a couple of years in Boston and, you know, that he might be ready just kind of for a new challenge, for a new situation, um, for his own team. Like that was part of the reason he wanted to step out of LeBron's shadow and go to Boston. And then kind of he gets there and it's like maybe not exactly what you would expect, right? It is his team to a certain extent, but it also is Brad Stevens' team. And like suddenly maybe it's starting to look like it might be Jason Tatum's team. And right. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't. I don't have a keen sense of what he actually wants, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if what he wants is just like a chance to go and like take over the Knicks and and make his imprint there. And and the other thing too is that you know he was traded. He didn't leave as a free agent. So kind of like what you were saying, it wasn't his team from like an ownership perspective, but it also wasn't his necessary. Like it wasn't his pick. And it, although he was apparently elated and jumping around and running through the set of Uncle Drew screaming when he got traded there because he was so happy, it still wasn't like he handpicked this team the way a free agent would. So I do think there's a difference, right? If this is a guy who kind of wants to chart his own course, right. I think it's very different to be a free agent than actually have your pick of the litter and potentially, yeah, go to quasi-hometown yeah. of New York and maybe be the, like, 110th guy to try to resurrect Knicks basketball. I do think that's very different than just being traded to a team that you're cool with going to. Right. And I mean, the other thing you can say is 
the kind of easy thing for him to do would have been to stick around Cleveland and go to the finals again with LeBron, right? Like that, that path was laid out for him. And there were obviously more important things at play. Uh, he, he prioritized, you know, things other than just kind of uh, being in, in the most clear-cut basketball situation. So um, he, he decided to force his way out. And so that's why I can kind of see it happening again. Even if the Celtics right now look like they are set up to win the East, I don't know that that's necessarily priority number one for Kyrie because we've seen in the past that, that there are other things that are important to him. So. Right, and I think Kyrie's one of the most interesting players in the league because, generally speaking, your trajectory as a star player is you get drafted onto a terrible team because you go to a high pick and high picks belong to terrible teams. And then you try to do your best to bring that terrible team to relevancy. Maybe you make the playoffs, maybe you make the second round, whatever. And then eventually, you know, you stumble, whatever. But then you finally, around like your prime, you finally win a title. And then, then you feel really freed and you can do whatever you want, right? That's your arc for most players. Kyrie didn't have that arc at all. Kyrie had a championship already. So he doesn't need to really go anywhere else to sort of prove himself. And in that championship, that 2016 title is one of the most memorable titles ever. He hit perhaps one of the biggest shots in NBA history. Obviously, a lot of other shots come to mind. But, you know, that that shot over Steph pulling up and and, and winning Game 7 and completing the 3-1 comeback. Kyrie not to mention, not to mention the, 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 the performance that he had in Game 5 of that series. Yeah, 41, he, he right? Him absolutely LeBron insane. Maybe the best, like, duo performance yeah. in finals history. Yeah, like, he was he, he was not a sidekick, you know, in in those last three games, right? right. Like, he was a, a major reason that they were able to, to pull off that comeback, so... Yeah, so, I mean, like, his motivations are going to be completely different than, like... Um, someone like Jimmy Butler, who, you know, came up, had some success, you know, made the playoffs a couple of times, but, like, he really hasn't gotten to that level, and he needs to get to that level. He needs to have that championship on his resume. Kyrie already has that. So it's it's interesting for Kyrie. And plus, if you guys remember, when Kyrie was asking for that trade last summer, he had the Knicks as one of his destinations, and people laughed. People were like, wow, it makes sense for him to want to go to, like, San Antonio, for him to want to go to Boston, or from him to want to go to, like, Miami or wherever. Like, people laughed when he once wanted to go to the Knicks. And it's like, well, I mean, if you already got a title and everything like that, like, and you're, everything is set and you're already a, one of the, I would say, one of the top 10 um, most marketable players in the league, you have a huge successful shoe. Like, what else are you really going to do, right? You might as well go back to your hometown and try to revive that franchise. So, um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. And I think if Kyrie does end up leaving, I think he's going to take on a lot of criticism. But, I mean, clearly this is a guy who is not afraid to be controversial. I mean, he's already out here... Talking about the flat earth and stuff. So, all right, that does it for news, at least. So, let's move on to uh, League Pass teams. This used to be more of a thing when League Pass only let you choose like five teams to watch. I think now you just have to get the full League Pass package. Nevertheless, you still have a. You, fi- you can do the single team package, though, now. They introduced that last year where you oh, can really? literally pick a team and just watch them all year and not have to subscribe okay. to the whole League Pass. All right, well, there you go. Okay, so then, fine. We have three teams for you to choose. All right, so. Um, we'll start with Wolfon, who wants to talk about the Timberwolves. Why? I thought you're generally down on the Timberwolves. I'm. I want to make clear that I I am not picking them as a league pass team for any sort of aesthetic reasons because aesthetically, frankly, the the Wolves can be kind of a drag to watch. Wolfon secretly from Chicago. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I did love those Bulls teams. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see them uh, come back together. No, but like. I just think that the Wolves are going to be really fascinating to watch uh, from like a storyline perspective. 
And even though, like, again, like stylistically, they're not sort of the most revolutionary team. Their basketball isn't always free-flowing. And it can be kind of grimy. Like, they don't play the prettiest basketball. But I just think they are such a fascinating team in such a fascinating place right now because, like, if you think back a couple of years, this was supposed to be the team of the future. Like, they were supposed to be, like, the new kind of iteration of what the Thunder were um, in, like, the early 2010s. And it, it just, like, hasn't really happened that way, obviously, for, you know, any number of reasons. And now you can say that they're still pretty early on in the development curve. Carl Anthony Towns has a lot of room to grow still. Andrew Wiggins, we don't want to quite give up on him yet, even though a lot of people probably are. But... Because they made this Jimmy Butler trade and because, you know, Wiggins' progress has kind of stalled out, um, there is this sense of urgency that you didn't really expect to be there for this team this soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, to me, is really fascinating. And I think they have a lot riding on this season, obviously because Butler's free agency is coming up and because there has been, you know, a lot of smoke um, coming out of his camp, uh, suggesting that he is not thrilled with where the world, where the wolves are at, and suggesting that you know he's ready to to leave in free agency next summer, whether it's to New York or L.A. or any number of other places, any other team that he thinks might be closer to contention than where the wolves seem to be at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really interesting, and I just think that's a team with like a lot of range of outcomes that could conceivably happen. And th- that team could be really good because there is yeah. a ton of talent on that, that team, right? Let's face it. Like, they were third in the West before Jimmy Butler got hurt. Yeah, and they were really, really good uh, when Butler was playing last season. Like, if you, like, like, their starting unit, which played, I think, more than any five-man unit of in course. the NBA last season. Of course, Tibbs. They had an 8.5 net rating, which is yeah. like Houston Rockets-level good. Yeah. Um, and the reason they fell apart was because their bench was terrible. But now they got Luol Deng. <laughs> yeah. They got a little I, I think they, Dang still has something left in the tank, man. To I, get Dang like, on a minimum contract. We haven't contract. even seen Dang play basketball for two years. That's yeah. why I think he's got something left in the tank. Because the guy's been <laughs> saving himself for two years. He right. hasn't like, dropped an ounce God. of sweat. But um, You don't think you he know, lost they, some motivation over that time? Like the two years of just waking up and then sitting on the bench? Yeah, playing I don't know. I, I'd be actually like, really, we'll, really interested sure. to talk to Dang and be like, what like, what did you do last yeah, year? No, seriously. like, How did you spend your time? Like, You watch Netflix? What do you see? He was actually acting as LeBron's real estate agent in L.A. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, I mean, I, I just think they're, they're in, like, a really interesting situation and a really interesting place. And so I'm very curious to see how that situation plays itself out and whether there is any kind of stylistic evolution that can happen there, you know, with Tibbs at the helm. Will talking, shaking You're his talking head. about evolution and Tibbs in the same sentence. Well, this is, I mean, this is part of what is interesting to me, right? Like, right. There, there is so much talent there because, look, Butler and Towns are top 15 players, right? Yeah. And there are not a lot of teams in the league that can say that they have two top 15 guys. Like, there are maybe, what, three, four other teams that can say that? Mm-hmm. So, they, realistically, this should be a 50-plus win team, I think. And I think that there is a lot to figure out for them to get there, but um, they showed last year that they can play basically at a 50-win pace when Butler is healthy. Uh, they they have a lot to figure out kind of around the margins, but um, I mean, I, I'm just sort of, I'm interested to see whether they can do enough to make Butler want to stay there. 
I'm interested to see whether Towns can grow into the kind of player that I think we all believe he can be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, most of that is going to start at the defensive end of the floor where like, he definitely has the physical tools to be an impact defender. Does he have like the will? Like, Does he have the IQ? Does he have you know, just sort of like the awareness to execute basic you know, pick-and-roll defense to, uh, to switch, to defend in space? Like, um, there's a... a a lot that he like he's already a great defensive rebounder right like yeah and because he's um, not rotating (laughs) he's just waiting to get the board he's just chilling (laughs) yeah no look i mean these are all fair criticisms but like he's such a talent and and i think you know watching to see whether he can like i I think he subtly did take a leap last year like if you he was a ridiculously efficient offensive player like um, if you look at like his true shooting percentage um, among like medium or high usage players, was second to only Steph Curry. So, like the the fact that he was only his usage rate was like twenty two percent last year, which I think is just like unacceptably low for a guy who was as good as he was. Um, and they have to figure out how to make that system work with like with Wiggins and and Butler and Towns and and Teague as well. You know, like there there are a lot of guys who like to dominate the ball. And I think it's incumbent on them, but it's also incumbent on Towns to like make sure that he's getting a larger share of their possessions. So I, he has room to grow at both ends of the floor, and I think that's going to be really interesting. And then obviously, you know, at the center of all these questions, I think is Wiggins, and is he ever going to be, you know, even close to the guy that everyone pegged him as when he was picked number one overall? Is he even going to be a guy who can grow into a role as like a reliable number three option? You know, if he realizes that that is the role that he's best suited to, or he kind of realizes that that's a role that he's comfortable playing. Um, He could be a really good number three, but, uh, you know, there has to be a measure of acceptance there. There has to be a measure of motivation for him, and we don't really know what motivates him. So, yeah, again, like, not not an aesthetic choice, but one of just, like, narrative and, and just, like, something that I'm really interested to see play out. Yeah, I think the Towns thing you mentioned is interesting, too, because, like, He's obviously a terrible defender right now, but one way to like negate that is to go all in on what he does exceptionally well, almost better than almost anybody in the league, and that's score. And like, you know what I mean? So like, if they used him better and more often on that end, that in itself negates what he's giving up on the other end, right? Yeah. In terms of aesthetics, I mean, it's the Warriors, right? Like between it's all time talent and all that, but. Um, but they don't For try. Me, they don't try in the regular season. Like they don't have to, man. So, or you know what? League pass should league pass team should be Warriors second half. Ch- chill, have dinner during the first half, and then watch the Warriors play in the second half. Uh-huh. And it is absolute basketball poetry. Um, and once they add Boogie, and it could be even funner. But no, I I'm gonna go with the Pelicans. Um, the reason I'm gonna go with that when I'm talking about like league pass teams. And I'm talking about like spend your money on this, and I am talking aesthetics. The two things I'm looking for is a combination of pace and offensive efficiency. So it's right. they're running, which is always entertaining, and then they're actually scoring and doing it well. They're not just running for the sake of running. And I was looking at teams last year that were top ten in both pace and offensive efficiency. The Warriors, obviously, uh, the Cavs and the Clippers. The Cavs, obviously, no one's going to watch them this year. The Clippers, even them, the lone guy they had left last year was DeAndre and. They're, they're going to be a bunch of tryhards, but I don't think they'll be like very aesthetically pleasing. And the other two teams were the Pelicans and the Sixers. And I think even the Sixers, for the most part, people kind of expected. The Pelicans surprised me a little bit because I had forgotten how fast they were playing and also how efficient they were. And then this year, when you basically replace Boogie with Julius Randle, who no one is saying is a superior player, but I think might be a superior fit. 
in that system. I think they're going to be even quicker this year. You could make the argument they might be more efficient. And I think they're just, they're going to be more of a, a real Alvin Gentry team because I think Julius Randle fits that mode so much better. Anthony Davis is always a pleasure to watch. The things he can do for his size, any casual fan should be able to get into that. So yeah, if, if I was going to go a little bit off the beaten path and, and give you a league pass team to pay for, I'd give it the Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk more about Julius Randle later in the podcast, but um, I'm going to put the Wizards out there as a that, league pass team. Are you <laughs> are you trying to offend people or Listen, destroy their eyesight? Or We watch sports for entertainment, all right? Drama is generally considered entertainment, all right? Look at the greatest shows ever, all right? All dramas. And the Wizards are pretty much the most dramatic team in the league, probably. I mean, like, look at this team. The personalities on this team, like... You're not just watching for the basketball itself, which I mean, like, the Wizards are going to be a solid basketball team. They're not going to win 50 games, but they'll come close. They'll talk about being the best team in the league. Whatever. But they have a lot of very interesting characters, all right? These are the players that I think, the six players in a rotation that I think um, actually are interesting to watch, all right? John Wall, Bradley Beal, all right? Both of them have an edge. Markeith Morris will fight someone every 10 games or so, all right? Every time he plays Serge Ibaka, basically. Um, Kelly Oubre, all right? Always down to beef. I mean, swag, he, swag, poppy, wave, poppy, baby. wave, poppy. Sorry, get it right. Wave, poppy. All right, he's uh, a lister with Drake apparently, according to him, and uh, beef with Delon Wright. I mean, it's weird if you if you've watched Delon Wright, he's a very inert human. So to beef with Delon Wright is is, is uh, takes a special amount of edge to do that. Austin Rivers, um, the drama there. I mean, he always thinks he's better than he is, and quite honestly, he's really made himself into a nice player. And also Dwight Howard on top of all that, all right? So the amount of drama that you're going to see on the court, the amount of side eyes that John Wall is going to stare daggers into Dwight's weirdly small head for his shoulders. And, like, like I mean, it's going to be great. It's going to be great value for, um, you know, for that league pass spot. And also, like, I just think that, like, their roster is a little bit upgraded from last year, which, I mean, we always say this about the Wizards. But, like, their issue is their bench is really, really terrible. Um, and... You know, I think it's better. Os Rivers is a nice piece. You know, Kelly Oubre is coming into his own a little bit. Jeff Green is, uh, I don't know. You don't, you don't have to sell anybody <laughs> yeah, on this, the Wizards roster. Like, let's be real. If you is, like watching car crashes in slow yes, motion, exactly. man, yeah, like, yeah. this is your league pass team. There you go. I, and I think other than that, they will be largely what they've been for the last few years. Yeah, I think they'll be a mid-40s win team yeah. that has moments of promise. And, um, you know, John Wall will get injured at some point. Wow. And, <laughs> Um, Glenn Grunwald will get an extension at some point. Oh, man. Ernie Grunfeld, I think oh, you mean. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's call him Glenn Grunwald. <laughs> Shut up, Glenn Grunwald. Ex, Ex-Knicks GM and Raptors GM now running Canada basketball. Yeah. yeah Ernie Grunfeld will get two extensions by the time the season's over. Yeah. Man, he brought in four-time defensive player of the year, Dwight Howard. We'll talk about Dwight later. Yeah, we'll talk about Dwight. Um, speaking of the Wizards, we are also going to look at the opposite end of that spectrum, the league-ass teams, all right? The worst teams that you should really... Really not invest any of your time in, whether you got the full league pass package or just that one game. Definitely don't use that one game on these three teams. Wolfon, you want to talk about the Cavs. Don't watch yeah, the Cavs. Yeah, don't watch the Cavs. Don't even use a lagging stream on the Cavs, all right? No, it's not worth- don't. Um, I just, I can't imagine what you are going to learn from watching the Cavs this year. Like, what what are you going to discover that you didn't already know? I think you can argue, like, there is something, like, like fascinating about watching whether Kevin Love can kind of tap into his old Minnesota Kevin Love self and whether the sight of him sort of uh, operating an offense again and being more involved like 
running uh, plays from the elbows and being more of a playmaker rather than a spot-up shooter. Like, I am, like, somewhat interested to see what that looks like. Apart from that, like, I, I just don't see anything worth watching here. Like, that, we've talked about it a lot, but, like, that supporting cast is just so miserable. Um, and... Uh, there's something to be said for like you know Colin Sexton. What is he going to be like? Do you want to see what he looks like in his rookie season? And like, does he develop any kind of two-man chemistry with Kevin Love? That's about it. Like, I don't know what else there is to watch for in Cleveland this season. Yeah, I'm going to go to the team that Kyrie Irving apparently might uh, be on in a year. That's the New York Knicks. How dare you? L- listen, here's the thing. It came down for me. It came down to the Knicks and the Kings. And although I think the Knicks are actually in better shape for the future and going forward, the difference to me was that with Porzingis out for most of the year, maybe the whole year by the time it's all said and done. Dolan's, already, year, Dolan's sure. already said they probably will keep him out the whole year. There and look, go. they probably want to tank. And they, they have a real chance to be the worst team in the, the league. And that's the difference to me is that Sacramento, they're not going to win, but like every They'll year, Sacramento's going to try to win. They think they should win. And they also, got interesting Marvin, guys. And also Marvin Bagley, I'm a little excited to watch. Not Nothing against Kevin Knox, but I'm more right. excited to watch Marvin Bagley than Andrew. Kevin Knox and like I said they're at least trying to win the Knicks we know what this season is without Porzingis they're going to be bad and on purpose um, and I, there's no one on that roster like sure I kind of want to see what Frank Nidalekina looks like in no, year two no. and like sure I want to watch Kevin Like, but like really am I going to sit down and be like oh man I want to watch Nidalekina and Kevin Knox tonight no the only thing they've got going for them is the garden the aesthetics of watching right. the game on TV and they got Mike Green being played at Madison Square Garden, yeah, and Mike Breen and, and uh, um, Clyde Frazier uh, with all of his rhyming. But, like, other than that, like, watching the team itself aesthetically is going to be a nightmare. They're going to be bad. They should. They want to be bad. They've got no kind of blue-chip prospects, depending on how you feel about the guys I've mentioned. Yeah. I'm and just thinking just about, like— for Porzingis. Porzingis would change all of that. Sure. He's, you know, a unicorn, uh, enough of a unicorn of a talent— that I'd watch just for him, even if they were 12 and 70. But without him, this team is a complete waste of your time that you will never get back in life. I'm just thinking about how many shots a game Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to take next year. Like, Oh, yeah, I forgot that he exists. What is, like, over, Point proven. <laughs> over, Point proven. over under 19. That's a sneaky fantasy edition. I don't, we don't talk much fantasy on this podcast, but no, go, I, go get him. I could totally see him averaging like 23 points a game on like 24 field goals. And S. Cantor is going to average 20 and 10, but be the worst defensive player in the league. Yeah, no, yeah. there's going to be a lot of empty stats put up on that team, I think. Um I agree. They're, they're going to be pretty miserable Moutier is going to have like eight turnovers a game. I keep forgetting Jeez, these players man. are on the Knicks. I forgot that Moutier was on the Knicks. Um, I'm going to give you a team that's worse than the Cavs and even worse than the Knicks in terms of watchability, maybe as a quality of a team, maybe a little bit better. The Orlando Magic. There is no reason to watch the Magic at all, ever, <laughs> almost ever. All right. Um their point guards are DJ Augustine and Jerrion Grant. This is in the age, the golden age of point guards. Every team has a nice point guard, all right? They got DJ Augustine and Jerrion Grant. That's it. They downgraded from Alfred Payton and Shelvin Mack. Shelvin Mack, who finished the year as their assist leader with 3.9 assists last season. I don't think DJ no Augustine... No loyalty and, in this game, man. <laughs> I don't think DJ Augustine and Jerrion Grant are going to average 3.9 assists. Combined. Um, well, I don't, yeah, maybe. Um... Their best players are all forwards, all right? I mean, it's probably some combination. Aaron Gordon is good, sure. But if you just watch over the course of a game, he, he kind of fades out of the game a little bit. He usually starts hot and he starts fading. Jonathan Simmons is, uh, I mean, if that's one of your main attractions, it's not great. Terrence Ross, 
better as a video game player than as a basketball player. Uh, Jonathan or Jonathan Isaac. I mean, who knows? He's really long and he has a cool haircut and he keeps growing. I mean, it's cool. We don't really know what his skill set is just yet. And uh, their head coach, Steve Clifford, generally runs a slow-paced, defensively sound team that kind of grinds out the opponent, doesn't really try to do flashy things on offense, very strict offense. So you're not going to see much entertainment from the offensive side. And then also, like, the best way to consume the magic is just watch a highlight reel. Like, oh, man, you know, NBA on TNT just tweeted out uh, a video of, you know, Aaron Gordon dunking. Like, oh, cool. That's the only, like, 20 seconds of the game that you need to watch of a Magic game. The rest of this game, the rest of this roster is is hard to watch, man. It's hard to watch. Also, this is an irrelevant franchise. Like, in terms of just, like, you'll have nobody. If you're going to watch the Magic and follow the Magic, you'll have nobody to talk about the Magic with. Who cares about the Magic? The I, I'm, I'm going to jump in and say that I care about the Magic. Okay. Um, right. and, and I am... Very interested to see what this iteration of the Magic looks like because... They're going to look terrible. What do you mean? Probably they're going to look terrible. And this is totally one of those teams where I like go into the season being like, mm, I'm really interested to see what this team looks like. And then like after watching two games, I'm like, okay, I never need to watch that team again. Yep. But I, I am interested in them because their roster is so imbalanced. And because they have all these young, like very intriguing prospects who all sort of overlap and they are all kind of front court players and I don't really know how it's going to work or how it's going to fit together. We saw uh, a couple seasons ago when like they had Ibaka and Biombo and Vucevic and Aaron Gordon was playing a lot of three and he is obviously like better suited to playing the four, I think. But he also has like a really fascinating skill set that I think could translate to playing a little bit more on the wing because he is developing like more ball skill uh, he was like a, a much improved shooter last year, and I think that he can defend both forward spots. So I'm curious to see what Bamba looks like. I'm curious to see what Isaac looks like. I'm curious to see like how Aaron Gordon can continue to fill out that skill set. And like I think, okay, what, like no, come on, no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up. All right, all right, I'm gonna all say right. one. To me, the intrigue of Mo Bamba is more interesting than anything on the Knicks roster this year. Um, I think Bamba is gonna end up being the second best player in this class after Doncic. The second reason why I think the Magic have become fascinating was... Anyone see Jonathan Isaac's tweets last week? No. no. I'll read one. Okay, all right. uh, For you guys. There should be more adults with education and authority addressing the youth on abstinence until marriage. Oh. Religious bias aside, statistically speaking, sex before marriage is unsafe and has plagued our relationships government and sadly our innocent kids created and aborted that's, so he's going down the dwight howard path huh uh, he's going the uh, yeah well <laughs> yeah he's going down yeah. the ac green you guys remember ac green yep. used to yep. preach absence well this uh, and practice this stance just by preach. jonathan isaac to me makes the magic more wow more yeah. watchable than the knicks because someone's gonna mm. ask him about this and that is gonna be cringeworthy in the car crash kind of way that will talked about the wizards Guys, what do you don't? I mean, as a responsible person in charge of this podcast right now, don't watch the magic. All right, don't use your league pass. Pass at least watch the their media day. Yeah, sure. I mean, to see they, someone ask if Jonathan they have some Isaac sort of this. like uh, some sort of behind the scenes uh, docu series, like uh, you know the Raptors have with Open Gym. Yeah, where okay. we can see uh, kind of what that locker room dynamic is like. That would um, be great if anyone was interested in looking at the magic. Like if anybody. <laughs> all right. All right, man. Just saying. If if uh, if you are intrigued by 
dudes with a lot of length mm-hmm. and a lot of untapped, unmolded potential. Seeing how the pieces all fit together. Yeah. Watching Steve Clifford do his thing, probably yeah. on no sleep, getting serious <laughs> migraines, yeah. trying to figure out how to how to work eight forwards into one rotation. I'm concerned about his health, man. Yeah, <laughs> I found an Isaac reply. Oh, Someone God. replied to Jonathan Isaac. A, uh, a woman named Noel replied to Jonathan Isaac saying, sex pre-marriage is working out just fine for me, thanks. And Isaac replied to her saying, if we want the best chance at a healthy body, relationship, and real commitment, abstinence is ideal. Wow. 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 All right. Well, you Isn't know, he like twenty years old. Not sure. Yeah, it's like uh, like that Seinfeld episode where George stops having sex and he accesses like the the ninety yeah. percent of his brain that is otherwise occupied thinking about sex. Like that's there that's gonna go. be the magic this year, man. He's access the ninety percent of his game that was on tap. Ter- Terrence Ross <laughs> gonna average like twenty five points a game. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break right here. <laughs> we're gonna come back on the other side. We're gonna talk less about uh, abstinence. We're gonna talk more about. The most overrated and the most underrated acquisitions of the summer. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. As always, a friendly reminder to please support the show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Um, Let's move into things beyond abstinence all right let's talk about the most overrated moves of the offseason obviously everyone gets really excited about the summer and you know we don't want to rain on people's parade but there are some moves that might have been overhyped and Wolfon, you think the maverick signing deandre jordan for 24 million dollars uh is one of those moves yeah i gotta kind of qualify this by saying i'm not really sure if this move was overhyped by anybody like i was gonna say no one talked about this one but yeah i I didn't i didn't necessarily see anybody like hyping up this move too much but um i definitely feel like because the mavs had had this sort of doomed pursuit of deandre three years back and because he is still you know kind of a brand name and carries a bit of clout that there was a lot of buzz about this move and to me i just don't get it uh, I don't really see what he does for them, especially on a one-year deal um, when they are ostensibly a rebuilding team that probably should have been using their cap space to go out and try and find like more of a long-term fit at the center position to turn around and, and spend all that cap space on a guy who is probably like, uh, you know, heading into the downslope of his career. Yeah. And... Uh, is I just don't see the fit there really, and I don't see what the sort of upside play there is for them. Like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to chase a playoff spot this season? Like, kind of. I think they're trying to send Dirk off nicely. I guess, but I I don't think that DeAndre is really going to be the difference between them making the playoffs or not. <laughs> right? True. Like, I don't I don't see them as being a playoff team, and I feel like this season for them should be all about like the development of Dennis Smith Jr., Luka Doncic. Um, and trying to kind of figure out what their team is going to be over the next few years, right? And, and starting to mold that culture from the ground up. Obviously, Dirk still being there offers this sort of like pillar of stability that can help those young guys grow. But adding DeAndre in that mix, I don't think really moves the needle. So to, and, and they did that like really right off the bat, right? Like they, I mean, knew, they pretty much traded for him, but then they decided not to at the draft. And right. then they signed him basically to his player option. Right. So I, I just, 
I, I don't know. I mean, aside from them basically like fulfilling this ideal that they had of signing him three years ago, I don't really see what that does for their franchise. I do think it could help the development of their two young... I mean, Doncic isn't a guard. I was going to say they're two young guards, but he's kind of a point forward. If you, yeah. Well, I mean, Doncic is a great pick-and-roll player, and I think DeAndre's a great pick-and-roll partner. And then even defensively, I think it's nice for those young guys who might have defensive issues early in their careers to have DeAndre behind them. I, even his gravity, like just his rim-running gravity, I think it can actually help those guys. But if they're just going to have him for this one season, I mean, we don't know. Maybe they'll re-sign him afterwards. But yeah. then what's the point? You know, like they get used to having him there and then... I don't even necessarily think it's about like them getting used to having him there, but maybe even just playing with a player like that can, right. can help them in certain ways, right? right. In, in and the they're going to they're continue to play under Rick Carlisle. And Carlisle's always liked to play with this rolling type of center. And so whether it's DeAndre or another guy, like those guys are going to get used to playing in that scheme where your five is a dive man. I just think if they thought that he was that guy, then why not sign him for like three years? You know, yeah. Or why not try and go out and find a guy like that who, like I've talked about this before, but I mean Clint Capella was out there, right? That you know he was one of the last big free agents to sign, and the Rockets ended up getting him on kind of a bargain of a deal because all the other centers had basically been signed at that point, and there wasn't really a need anywhere else in the league. But the Mavs were sitting there with this enormous amount of cap space, and there's a young guy who basically fits their rebuilding timeline who does all the stuff that DeAndre does, but at this point probably does those things better and is only going to get better from here, whereas DeAndre is only going to get worse. Like, that's the kind of guy that I would have liked to have seen them take a chance on. Right. Him or Randall or, you know, like a a younger guy who they could actually sign long-term as opposed to a guy who's just going to, like, be basically like a stopgap and not necessarily, like, I mean, he'll nudge their floor higher, but I don't know how much higher he makes their ceiling in the short or the long-term. I definitely think they should have... I guess, gone after Capella. I think they probably assumed that the Rockets were going to match no matter how high they went, but at least make them do that, right? Like, yeah. division rival, conference rival, in-state rival, at least make them have to spend that extra bit of cap space. Right, and if your cap space is tied up for two days because, you know, you're trying to sign Capella and you don't end up getting him, then what's the downside risk there, right? Like, yeah, you're, right. you're not a team that is in win-now mode, or you shouldn't be anyway, so... You know, losing that couple of days of uh, financial fle- uh, flexibility and free agency is like not really going to kill you. So, well, I mean, they did trade their draft pick for the Doncic in the Doncic trade, right? So, I mean, but that doesn't put them in win now mode. Like, they got Doncic, who's a guy who's going to be part of their team for presumably like yeah. the next, I don't know, the next decade at least, right? So it's not it's not like they made that play, being like, oh, now we have to win this season. They made that move because they saw Doncic as, like, their next franchise player. True. And my concern with DeAndre is just, like, I don't think he's as nearly as active as he used to be. DeAndre averaged less than a block per game last season. Yeah. Um, And only half a steal per game. I mean, like, those aren't the be-all, end-all metrics. I think the Clippers are actually still pretty solid on defense. But still, this is a guy who relies on his athleticism. He's had issues sort of with his conditioning previously I think he got over those but I think they're starting to come back a little bit now that he's getting older and he's still a very productive player I just don't know if he's who they think he's they're gonna get but um cash another center who might not be who the team that assigned him thinks they're gonna get Dwight Howard yeah. that's the guy you want to talk about yeah you're from your league pass uh pick the Washington Wizards um yeah look Dwight Howard um I think 
he deserves some credit for last year. Like, I, I think he had an overall solid season with the Hornets. I do. And probably a little better than people expected he would. But I think um, it was a little overblown. Like, he averaged 16.6 points per game. It was the most he had averaged in a while. Um, people were surprised by that. But if you, like, look deeper at the numbers, he also uh, took about three extra shots per game than the previous year. He took his, mo- his most field goal attempts he had taken in four years. So his scoring rate... His offensive efficiency is per 100 possessions was very similar. It's not like he had kind of rediscovered some old form. It's just that in Charlotte, he had the ball more and was like shooting more. Oh, yeah. I think he was like, he was top five in shots taken out of post-ups. Yeah, yeah like, which is so insane. They almost force-fed him in a way, and that's why his scoring went up again. It's not like, again, it's not like he had to rediscover this fountain of youth and he, the old Dwight was back. Another thing too, so... Dwight, uh, if he's not like, if, if you don't kind of keep an eye on him and, and keep him in a disciplined structure, he can start to stray away from what he's good at. And what I mean by that, if you look at last year, first of all, if you look at his career, Dwight Howard, once he gets outside of three feet from the rim, it's abysmal. Like, it's bad. Right. Um, it, you know, a lot has been made about the fact he never developed those post skills, whether he's too short, which is a real thing. Like, he's not as tall as other bigs. He can't see. I don't know what it is, but he's always been terrible outside of three feet. And last year... Uh, despite the fact his scoring went up, his field goal percentage was actually the worst it was since his sophomore year. Right. He went from like 63% to 55% shooting from the field. And a big cause of that was the fact that his attempts from within three feet plummeted. And he started taking like way too many shots from that like three to 10 foot short range, mid range area. He hasn't shot 40%, okay, in the three to 10 foot range in five years. Think about that. We're not saying 50%. We're not saying good. We're talking about a big man. Right. Who from three to ten feet hasn't even shot forty percent in five years, and yet that's where his shots are starting to skew for whatever reason. Whether it's he's losing his athleticism, he's not getting inside. Whatever the case may be, there are underlying signs that Dwight Howard is going to be like losing his effectiveness on offense very soon. And I think you add that to a team like Washington that is volatile, that maybe doesn't have the best structure when it comes to like discipline and putting guys in the right positions to succeed. I do see like major red flags here and I get that between John Wall and Bradley Beal Dwight's probably going to get a lot of law opportunities and easy buckets but I I don't think that's necessarily going to completely eradicate some of these warning signs of a guy who's getting away from the one thing he's actually good at on offense yeah only two players had more post-ups than Dwight last year and they were Joel Embiid and LaMarcus Aldridge so you know he's not really in that group right now (laughs) offensively Or defensively. I mean, if they could just plug him into that Gortat role, if he's willing to do that, which, again, like, obviously that's a big if. Because he's he's way better than Gortat. Let's let's say that. He is. And he he hasn't been willing to do that for, you know, any portion of his career. So I I don't know why this situation would be different. But, you know, Gortat just set solid screens, you know, uh, rolled hard to the rim. Pisses off John Wall. Boxed out, like, (laughs) you know, and... Yeah, John Wall. I'm sure Dwight can slide into that role beautifully. Definitely. But, like, you know, Gortat wasn't asked to do too much. And if you can just, like, slot Dwight into that role, then you have an upgrade, right? Like, you've upgraded that position. And, you know, Dwight, I don't know if he's as good at, like, the kind of cagey things that Gortat did, like the illegal screens that Gortat would set and, and be able to get away with it. Um, but he's undeniably, like, a better rebounder, probably a better finisher around the rim. Yeah. Like, and and a better defender overall. So I think, you know, it's just all about buy-in, right? And we've talked about this with Melo on the Rockets as well. Like, the talent is there, like, and they have somebody who should, in theory, be a very solid role player. It's just a question of whether that player is willing to accept, 
the role that's given to them. And I think that's what's going to determine whether this is a success or a failure for the Wizards. He went from uh, two years ago, 76% of his attempts came within three feet of the rim. That plummeted to 57% last year. Yeah. Because he started taking random jumpers. Yeah. Like, it was not good. It was not good what Dwight was doing last year. I'm going to veer away from the players' angle, and I'm going to go towards the head coaching hires. I think the Bucks are really, really excited about getting Mike Boonholzer, and I think there's a lot of good reason for it. Boonholzer is a very solid head coach. I just think that, like, this grand expectation that Boonholzer is going to be what takes the Bucks over the top. I and, mean, like, the Bucks have basically been kind of like the Wizards, you know? Like, they don't talk, to, they don't really talk themselves up like the Wizards do, but people talk up the Bucks, right? People always say, look, the Bucks are on the cusp, whatever. Um, but they're not. They have. They don't win 50 games. They don't win rounds in the playoffs. They've been bounced three straight year, uh, years in the first round. Um, you know, like, I think their issues with the Bucks have to do with the roster construction more than they have to do with the head coaching. Head coaching wasn't helping. I don't think Jason Kidd was a great fit. Joe Prunty, I don't even know what he did really with that team, but, you know, obviously didn't do too much. Um but, I mean, I think they have issues. I think they have issues in terms of just the roster. Like, who's going to play point guard for you? Is it going to be Bledsoe, who I don't think fits as well as a guy like Giannis because they're both drivers? Or is it going to be Brogdon, who has less upside but does more for you, like that you what you need, like a George Hill type? Is it uh, – who are you going to play at center? Is it going to be Brooke Lopez, who doesn't rebound well, and that's an issue on the Bucks. They don't rebound at all. So getting the worst rebounding center in the league is not good. Um or is it going to be Ursula Silva? Or is it going to be John Henson? Like, you got to figure the roster issues out. Like, there are real issues with some of the key starting positions on that team. And until they fix those issues, it's not really going to be a coaching thing where he comes in and magically Giannis gets taken to the next level and they're winning, like, you know, 55 games. Like, that's not who the Bucks are. The Bucks are going to be limited because their talent is, is what it is. So... I think there's a lot of expectations on Budenholzer this year that he's going to work some, you know, magical... Uh, potion that mix that's going to somehow turn them into a 60 win team almost like when he had it with the, the Hawks but I think that's unrealistic man I really do I really do I'm going to disagree with that one and I think like I think Bud is the exact kind of coach that the Bucks needed because I don't personally think that the roster was the issue I think what they just really have been lacking the last couple of years is structure and like if okay. you look at how those like the the prime years Hawks teams with Budenholzer at the helm, how they played, they like every player on those teams understood their roles perfectly and like played them to a T every night. They had like this incredible structure in place, and um, they had these organizing principles on both ends of the floor, right? Like people talk a lot about uh, like offensively what Budenholzer was able to do, but like. Those Hawks teams were incredible defensive teams. But they had incredible defensive personnel. Like, but so did the Bucks. Like, Giannis, Giannis is a, as good a defensive player as those Hawks teams ever had. I mean, like... But he know, has to do Paul so much more on offense that, like, there's unrealistic to expect him to do everything. They, He's not KG. But, but, like, those Hawks teams also, they thrived by playing a lot of, like, the really aggressive trapping defense that the Bucks have tried to play in the past but haven't really been able to succeed at doing. But I thought they are going to move away from that, though. But they don't necessarily have to, and I think they okay. can kind of switch to like a hybrid scheme where, where in certain lineups, like they are playing like the trapping game because they do have like the length and athleticism to do it. It's just about having the discipline to like make those rotations and to kind of like not overextend themselves. Which I think and, like the Hawks, like at their best, what they were, like what they really did incredibly well at the defensive end was have this sort of controlled aggression, right? Like they would trap and they would be able to swipe for steals, and they 
forced a ton of turnovers, but they also never really like gambled themselves out of position too often. And they had bigs like Millsap and Horford who were the perfect embodiment. Like it's hard to find bigs who can do that, right? Right. And, right. and, and you're the, talking about having hands, but having hands on the defensive end, like Millsap and Horford, arguably the best at at that, right? And, and the I Bucks think they can approx- they can approximate that with Middleton and Giannis, though. I really think but they can. Middleton is a guard. Like he's he's slender. No, but he he's has nothing he, like Millsap. Millsap is like what, a Mid- thick body. Yeah, but, oh, sure, but like Middleton is what six eight, and he's got length. Like uh, I think height wise, they're almost the same. Yeah. Uh, they're, come on, they're no, it's but not, they're they're dimensionally yeah. very it, different. It's, right? not, it's, it's not apples right. to apples. I'm just saying, like if like I think there's enough talent on the Bucks to be a 50 win team. What, like okay. you can you can you can quibble with whether like the pieces fit together as well as they ought to. I agree with like the Bledsoe fit being imperfect. But I think Bledsoe and, and Brogdon can play together in the same lineups. Like, Brogdon, it, you know, is, has enough size to play the two. Uh, he's a competent enough defender, and he can space the floor. Like, um, and I think Middleton's a great sidekick for Giannis, and, and I think Brook Lopez will help, like, and, and Ilyasova, too. Like, they, the Bucks have always kind of tried to find these stretch bigs. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Thon Maker hasn't quite worked out the way they might have hoped, but that's the type of player they're looking for, a guy who can be a big body and protect the rim and also space it out at the other end. And I do think Lopez and Ilyasova are going to help in that regard. Like, I I think Buck is, uh, Bud is the right man for the job yeah. with the Bucks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, I, I don't, I'm not going to say that it's been overhyped or underhyped, but uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that, uh, that it's an overrated move. I think it's a good move, and it should be celebrated as such. I, I think that... I see where Will's coming from in that. I do think there are issues with this roster and how it fits together and what they've built around Giannis. I think management has really kind of screwed screwed the pooch there. But um, the one thing I will say for Bud is, you know, if there are different ways to create spacing and the Bucks obviously don't have enough shooting, but one way to create spacing is honestly just with kind of like creative movement and the creative structure of your offense. And I do think Bud has that going for him. Yeah. I think the like the general flow of his offense and the way he spaces guys out will make it a little easier for easier for Giannis. And I think with the cramped spacing on that team, like any little bit helps. I think in that regard, Bud is the right guy. Yeah. And you could see they're trying to get more spacing with, with signings like Brooke Lopez and Ilya Silva. But like when you like, again, it was a great luxury to have Horford and Millsap who are very dynamic two way bigs and they just don't have that here. And so, I'm I'm curious as to whether or not they can live up I, to it, but I, think, I, I still think it's ultimately going to fall short. And I, I think one reason it might be overhyped is because compared to Jason Kidd and Joe Brunty, and, you know, Mike Budenholzer might as well be Greg Popovich, for God's sake. Well, I mean, look, and also, like, I, my general belief is that the Bucks just don't have the great this great of a roster. So, like, all this focus on the head coach is like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, I don't think they were doing the smartest things. Like, I think Jason Kidd was, like, <laughs> leaving people wide open under the rim and in the corners, which is the only two shots you really want to take away in today's NBA. But, I mean, at the same time, like, if you don't have the talent, then it's not really necessarily about the coach so much as it is about the roster. So, um, let's talk about the most underrated moves, and let's be a little bit more positive, all right? Um, you know, a couple of these signings, they kind of went under the radar. I'm looking at the list right now. They are definitely under the radar. So, Wolfon, you want to talk about the Raptors re-signing Fred VanVleet to a two-year, $18 million contract. Yeah, super under-the-radar move. Um, you know, didn't get a lot of attention. But uh, I think this was a bargain for them. And kind of just like if you look at what made them successful last year, like Fred VanVleet was fantastic. Like, 
undoubtedly one of the best bench players in the league, like finished third and sixth man of the year voting, was a steadying presence all year long for the best bench unit in basketball and was also a huge part of a lot of their closing lineups as well. So he could play with the bench, he could play with the starters, and his metrics were off the chart in pretty much every way imaginable. Um, I, a really good defender, um, especially for his size. And I think importantly, like the Raptors were able to scale back Kyle Lowry's minutes last year. And a big reason for that was the emergence of Van Vliet. And we saw the dividends that it paid because Lowry had the best postseason of his career. Like he actually looked fresh and healthy in the playoffs because his minutes dropped from like 37 a game to like 32. Um, and he's going into his age 32 season or his, maybe even his age 33 season. Um, in any case, he's on the wrong side of 30. And, you know, we're obviously going to continue to see like minutes management be a big part of uh, the Raptors program for him. So it's, it was really important, I think, for them to retain Van Vliet. There was certainly no guarantee that that was going to happen. Uh, we've talked about teams that are <laughs> extremely depleted at the point guard position. They, you know, the Knicks, the Magic, uh, the Suns, like any of these teams could have made a play for him. And instead, the Raptors bring him back on like an eminently reasonable deal. And that, that just makes them a little bit more solvent at that position, both in terms of like the, being able to keep Lowry's minutes load low, but also, you know, look, DeLon Wright is, is another like really intriguing player, but um, he's extension eligible right now. I don't know whether the Raptors are going to wade into those waters or not, but like if they wanted to say make an in-season trade, suddenly, you know, maybe DeLon Wright is a trade chip. Um, or maybe Van Vliet is, you know, maybe Lowry is. Like, they have three extremely competent point guards on the roster right now. Um, and, you know, if you're looking long term, I think Van Vliet is as viable as any of them um, in terms of, you know, who the Raptors' next starting point guard is going to be. So, uh, you know, getting him on a, on a reasonable deal, I think, was super underrated move. Um, Cash's pick for the most underrated move is... Very, very underrated. So, let me let me hear about Seth Curry. Listen, I think um, Seth Curry didn't play at all last year. Um, he had, I think it was a stress reaction in his left tibia, left leg. Ended up requiring surgery. So, he was basically ruled out in October. No one knew he, how long he was going to be out. It lingered all year. And then in February, he decides to have surgery. So, he misses the whole season. He's apparently going to be ready to go for this year. I think because he didn't play last year... People probably don't remember the, the couple of years he had before that. And I think a lot of people still see him as just Steph's little brother. And that's all he was. It kind of bounced around the league a little bit. And the first few seasons of his career were that. He played like a handful of games. But you look at the two seasons before his injury. Um, he started becoming a legitimate NBA player. And a pretty good one at that, quietly. Like, he went to about 16 minutes a game a few years ago. And then two years ago, the year before his injury, he was playing 29 minutes a game. Now, the Mavericks weren't good that year. But still, he was playing... 29 minutes a game, um, averaged about 13 points, roughly three assists, three rebounds, a steal, shot uh, over the last two healthy years, shot 47, 43, 84. And if you just look at those last two seasons, he was 43% three-point shooting on about 3.8 attempts per game. If you put that into, say, last season when he didn't play, that's like a top eight qualified three-point shooter. And the Blazers got this guy on a one-year deal for $2.8 million, essentially the minimum. Um, on a one-year deal so to me that is a very under the radar like sneaky potential like high surplus value move okay i don't think the blazers are going to be contenders and you know a shooting 
you know, a, a good shooting guard who can't defend is the exact opposite of what that specific team needs. But still, if you're just talking about a guy who can come in and like do something really well, it didn't get a lot of attention to me, Seth Curry, because I had him going into the offseason as a kind of like sleeper good free agent pickup for right. a team that needs shooting and maybe some creativity off the bounce from a guard position. And the Blazers ended up with that guy. Yeah, I think I think Seth Curry could have a solid year and I think can remind people that just two years ago, this guy had actually emerged as a very serviceable reserve guard in this league. Yeah, it'll just depend on, you know, how, how well he bounces back from that. How injury, healthy he right? is. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too. Like, it's not like this is a guy who blew his... Uh, Achilles out who was coming off like a second ACL surge or something like it was a stress reaction in his leg that's seemingly taken care of he should be able to bounce back as a shooter not exactly a guy who relies on extreme athleticism like to me more teams should have been in on him because he could be an elite shooter he was for the last couple of years before he got hurt yeah good genes for sure um all right, I'm going to go with someone a little bit more prominent and go back to Julius Randle signing the Pelicans we mentioned that in the first half of the show um I just think it's a great, great fit on all levels. Uh, I think he does what Boogie did well for the Pelicans without doing what Boogie did poorly for the Pelicans. Um, Randall had a really underrated year last year. I thought he really broke out, came into his own. You know, he was always a very aggressive scorer, and he wasn't necessarily efficient. But last year, he shot 56%, average career-high 16 points a game. He had eight rebounds, three assists per game. Like, just a really solid player who... Um, is very aggressive in going after the rebound, very aggressive in you know diving to the rim, and he fits really nicely in terms of what the Pelicans want to do. So if you just want to look at the rotation, right, like Anthony Davis can now play some power forward when Randall's out there. Randall can be the center. He can bang, whatever. You know, AD has all the skills to step outside. It's no, no issues there. Um, but also, you know, Randall can also play center with – Miritich, who is naturally a perimeter-oriented player, and that creates so much more room for Randall to drive, to catch on the roll, to finish. Um, and I, I just, I really like the way that Randall has developed as a defender. He's never been a guy that gets a lot of steals or blocks, but he's more positional defender, kind of like Tristan Thompson, a little bit big, bigger in the body. I'm a little bit surprised that the Lakers didn't want to keep him, although I think he wasn't really happy with the Lakers and he wanted a new situation after LeBron got there. But still. Like, he does a lot of what Tristan Thompson does. Tristan Thompson's a real solid player. Uh, it's a real solid deal. Two years, $18 million. Um, you know, the the mid-level uh, is... Like, for a player like this, who's going to be your sixth man, basically, I think the mid-level is more than fair. Um, and also, I think he fits the, the Pelicans in the, in the sense that they want to play fast, right? Like, the Pelicans were number one in the league in pace after Boogie got hurt, right? Which makes sense. You got this athletic roster. You don't have a big you know, big man kind of slowing you down. You might as well run as quickly as possible. And Randall also comes from the Lakers, who under Luke Walton in the last couple of years here, have been one of the fastest teams in the league. Last year, the Lakers got 20% of their possessions in transition, which, you know... Um, you know, like they're they're a fast-paced team. Randall's built to play that way. He's really, you know, reshaped his body. He did that last summer. He had a really good year, and I just think he fits perfect with the Pelicans. And um, the Pelicans always need depth, and uh, so I think with this kind of move, you know, you look at the Pelicans, and who knows? Maybe this is the difference between winning, you know, forty-eight games and fifty-one games. And in the Western Conference, that could mean like three, four, five playoff seeds. So I think it's a nice move for them. 
Yeah, agreed. I think, again, I think it's the way Gentry wants this team to play. Gentry, like Walton, coached under Kerr and Golden State. They coached together and coached the Suns teams after Dan Tony. Like, Alvin Gentry is a running coach. And again, you mentioned it, Will. Like, you saw it last season when Boogie got hurt and Alvin Gentry was able to play, I think, a little more to personnel that suited him. They were the fastest team in the league. And you add a big, like, Randall to that. You know, Anthony Davis is who he is. Drew Holiday, I think, finally got the appreciation maybe that he deserved towards the end of last season and in the playoffs. I think this team's going to be really fun. I think Randall adds to that. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they sort of redistribute their possessions because Boogie soaked up so, so much of the offensive load, right? And he he kind of took on this point center role that he was maybe not entirely equipped to play. Like, he was obviously like obviously like, like a great ball handler for a guy his size and a great passer for a guy who plays his position, but also extremely turnover-prone. Um, and also prone to like not really getting back in transition when he did turn the ball over. So uh, I think this is going to mean that Drew Holiday spends more time with the ball in his hands, especially with Rondo gone. Like I think his workload is going to be amped up quite a bit. Um, and Randall also is going to be asked to be a playmaker, I think, and he's an underrated passer as well. So um, there are a lot of interesting things that I think they can do with that offense, but um, they're going to have to figure out, like, I, I don't, Boogie's usage rate was like over 30% last year, you know? So they have all these possessions that they're going to have to figure out how to distribute among uh, sort of like a more diverse offensive uh, talent pool. And yeah, I'm excited to watch them. Like, I think they're going to be super fascinating and potentially really, really good. Yeah, there you go. That's why Cash had them as, uh, you know, elite pass team, right? So um, that does for this week's podcast. Um, once again, reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Support the podcast, download the Score app, listen to our other podcasts, read our features. And, yeah, I mean, the next time we start doing this, there's going to be more NBA news. Preseason's about to start, you know? It's it's great. We're going to be going down and seeing Kawhi and get introduced to the Raptors. I mean, like, it's a lot's about to happen. So, um, you know, stay tuned. Pound the rock, baby.